Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. This week on our episode, we're going to be diving into the subject of Advent. And why in the world do we follow the lectionary at, uh, this season in Advent, uh, this particular year? And what is up with the church calendar? We're going to cover that. We're also going to be covering the interpretation of Scripture a little bit, because one of you wrote in a great question about the book of Isaiah. Can we even apply that to our lives directly? It's not even written to us. And we talk about that. So tune in. Hello, everyone. Wow. Just like that, it's on. It is. I mean, just like that, it's on. I think. When did you get coffee? Uh, right before yeah. here. Huh. Yeah, I ain't got coffee. Testing. Yeah, we're on. We're on. Stuff and things. And... Stuff <laughs> and things. <laughs> Welcome to the Red Couch Theology Podcast. Where we build a podcast in front of your very viewing. <laughs> um, your session has expired. That's not good. I assume. Uh... Are we not live? I don't know. I Current know. broadcast. Oh. Why am I so afraid? We well, know exactly what we're doing. There's fear. Every week there's fear. And know, you cause it. We know exactly what we're doing. Because I would just keep talking and assume it was on and find out later. Yeah. Well, you just say such profound things. I don't want to miss any. Un untrue. Regardless. <laughs> Here we are. Look at that. I love it. Our first, We're a real podcast. Uh, We're a real uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> our first podcast of the season of Advent. Our first podcast of the new year. Ah, see I see what I did what there? You, I see what you did there. Because I like it. in the church, we are now in officially three days into a new year. Four days into a new year. Which is yeah, exciting. why is that? Why did the Can you explain the liturgical? I, I, I don't know. Why, I actually have no clue why it's this date. Like, oh. I, I know why it's this season, but why they started it in December, I have no idea. Other than that, I guess pre-Christmas makes sense. So, yes, if you are unfamiliar with liturgical or church calendar, uh, the, the new church year actually starts on the first week of Advent, which is four weeks before Christmas. So there are four Sundays in Advent. This year is fascinating because in the West, or more particularly in the U.S. West, we do a big celebration on Christmas Eve, whereas historically churches have done a big celebration on Christmas Day. Yes. So, so you guys over here really invented the whole big Christmas Eve celebration, other than like a midnight, like late night turning the clock, clock to Christmas Day. Yeah. Like that was popular before, but they, this whole like afternoon gather the family on Christmas Eve and then not go to church on Christmas Day. That to me is completely foreign still. I'm still like, I still have this, I don't know. It's not even guilt. It's just on Christmas Day. I'm like, oh, I just go to church. I've actually looked for churches that do Christmas Day services. You know, you're a pastor at a church, right? You're yeah. like the you're like the head honcho dude. Yeah, but, but you have yeah, a very rebellious staff. That <laughs> <laughs> I've that I've never like literally. Pulled I'm one the, of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I've I've never pulled the uh, I don't know the uh, the the trigger. We did a Christmas Day service last year, which I loved. I was in my element. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I miss that. I miss everyone turning up on Christmas Day. Kids presents in arms, like you know, just excited to be there. Just there's a there's a jollity or uh i don't know whatever the a jollity yeah is that not a word yeah i like it I, maybe a jollity it sounds uh, great i love it yeah it's just you you're excited to see people and you give people and it's beautiful and it's like a crisp blue sky day which we have all the time here like every year in Eng living in England, I was like, I, I just had this picture in my head of like Christmas Day being like somewhere around like 45 degrees, blue sky, um, you know, just like crisp. And then you'd get there and it'd be like 63 and rainy. <laughs> I see, like so, so my bad. dream of the ideal Christmas is snowstorm. I get I, snowstorm. Like massive, just I, massive 30 snow. 30 inches. Sure. Why? Just the idea of like huddling inside with a fire. Yeah, we can do that with seven inches of snow. You don't need the, 
I don't. There's nowhere to go. God, go, go anywhere, anywhere. Everything's closed. I go all over the place, even in 30 inches. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, like being trapped in the house is redundant on Christmas Day. There's nothing open. Yeah, so might as well be cozy but and look at the beautiful. Like, but seven inches of snow, you can go for a nice walk. You can trample through snow. Thirty inches, like even you are buried. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Well, uh, I don't know. That's my dream. So you want like a sunny day? I, I'm, I'm ha snow on the ground is beautiful. Like if it could snow all night, and I could wake up on Christmas Day to like half a foot of snow, but blue skies, like you know that crisp weather where you can be outside, but it's not like like a, living in Michigan for years and then New York for years. Like there were days where if you were outside for more than five minutes, your skin it literally started to burn off your face. <laughs> um, oh gosh! So I I do not appreciate that minus forty cold. I definitely I definitely had students once when I was a youth pastor tubing, and like snow tubing in minus forty wind chill. Um, wow! Like just I mean just terrifyingly cold. So I don't care for that. But but I do yeah. So I just can picture us all like you know just gathering together on Christmas Day. Just you know just like. The bells are ringing out on Christmas Day, all those types of things. I don't know. You yeah. Know, it feels so hopeful. Well, you should comment if you're on YouTube or if you're not, I don't know how you comment. Uh, <laughs> maybe you could just send us a note at redcouchtheology.com, which is a thing, which is, is where you... You didn't know that? I don't know if I you didn't know we have a website? I think so. We have a website. I'm going to go on it for the first Alex, time Alex, we ever. have a website. That's where people ask questions. <laughs> it is? It I is. they text a number. No. We changed the slides and everything. You you announced this. I didn't read the slide. Okay. This is well, what I do. This is this is what I do. I just literally do what you tell me to do. Perfect. <laughs> just how I like what it. What Teresa tells me to yeah. do. This is so. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Alex, um, his leadership style is not to play the "I'm the boss" card very often. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, uh, what are we talking about this week? Um, I don't know, because I'm not the boss. I'm just discovering our website for the first time. Look, there it is. If it's you're, a good uh, website. There we go. It looks great. It's very simple. It's very simple, but it has questions. We need your questions, and we do. Um, ooh, and we have a question this week. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, so, we are talking about, well, we started Advent. As uh, All this began with me explaining the start of Advent. Yeah. <laughs> well, why Advent's the start of the church calendar. Let's resolve that conversation. Wait, how long were we gone? I oh, just showed no. him my thing, so we were on there. Oh, yeah, you saw it then. So I must have bumped a button. I apologize. Somehow I bumped a button, and we went away, including our audio. And they were just watching me play on my computer. You saw me play video games. Actually, no, I was just trying to pull Isaiah up. So could you start an advent? I'm assuming that's the only thing that they missed. I have no clue. Yeah, I'll look. Sorry, everyone. My little... Gizmo isn't working, so I'm doing it another way. So you guys don't care. You guys don't care about that. You care about. So we started Advent. Yeah. Can you? So so we started. Well, we started Advent. The incarnation on Christmas is the moment that God's story intersects the world in this in-person way. Uh, the language that I, I used this week, which is borrowed from C.S. Lewis, is it's essentially like the moment Shakespeare writes himself into one of his own plays. Like it's the moment that the author writes himself into the story in this particular way. And so Advent is the build to that. It's the anticipation before that. I think before the story begins, you need this moment of breath before the, the dive in. Yeah. So Advent becomes that, and, and so it's a weird place to begin for any other story other than the, the Jesus story, because it is a beginning that it begins in the dark, and the light doesn't switch on for a few weeks. It doesn't, like if you go to a, a, a church that really follows church calendar, there is no decorating for Christmas during Advent. Mm -hmm. You might decorate your homes, but you don't decorate the church. So you walk in, and it's like, it's, it's, it's static, and it's, it's, it's kind of empty. 
Um, and then on Christmas, like the real party begins, as it were. And then that calendar works all the way around back to Advent the next year, where it restarts again. And it's just this beautiful cycle that goes over and over again. It reminds us of God's story, God with us, God uh, for us, God in us, and then God through us. Yeah, so you you started with this text, though, which was Isaiah, right? Isaiah... I didn't start with that. It took me a long time to yeah. get to Isaiah. Yeah. But the first, the first, liter, the first lectionary the text, yeah? yeah, we're in the lectionary, which again, if you're, if you're struggling between liturgical and lectionary, liturgical calendar is like the calendar that determines the liturgy, is a good way of saying that. Yeah. Uh, and then the lectionary is a text-based document that, that divides scripture into a three-year cycle of different texts. It covers like 90% of the texts or something like that. Yeah. Um, or ninety percent of which we did all summer, if you remember that for six six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. And yeah. now we're doing in uh, Advent, uh, specifically in the Book of Isaiah. So there's usually four options, but this year we're following this one track in the um, in the lectionary. And so I got Isaiah sixty four, which when you jump into a book for three weeks is a weird place to jump in because Isaiah only has sixty six chapters. So you kind of like. <laughs> Here we are, beginning Isaiah, week one, chapter 64. Like, yeah. it just, it's like, I don't know, it's like picking up a play in Act 5, Scene 2, or something like that. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, so, um, yeah, so what are the disadvantages, what are the advantages of, of following a lectionary, and what are the disadvantages of following a lectionary? So, so the, the advantage, as I could see it, would be that, so, so it's, thousands if not millions of churches all doing the same texts every week like it's a very worldwide thing there's churches all over the place that follow this so so i i think it it takes away a little bit of the personal choice of the teacher now you'll still get that personality come through but it does like there's passages that upbeat Alex might not pick out of his yeah you talked about that Sunday yeah yeah yeah, you have a natural inclination and then you you're forced to like encounter a text that you wouldn't yeah, actually so choose. Yeah, so in sa- in, sa- in the same way that the church calendar forces you into Good Friday before, and, and even into Easter Saturday before Easter Sunday, it forces you into Advent before, um, before Christmas. Like I, I grew up in a church that I actually remember this quite literally on Good Friday. Uh, the end of the service, the preacher would jump up on stage and be like, but Sunday's coming, people, and we would sing resurrection songs on Good Friday at the end of the service because he just couldn't sit in the death of Friday. Which which is sort of a bummer to me, and here's why. Like, this, this year, I've been more intentional than maybe any year on really entering into the intended meaning of, of Advent. Mm-hmm. Um, which I've done little bits of in the past, but um, the meditation on the heaviness and the brokenness and the languishing world and the darkness of the world, I'm like happier and enjoying Christmas more than ever. Yeah. Be- and I, so I think that the contrast between that and, and the implications of Christmas is part of what makes it like, it's not the presence. Those things fade. Mm-hmm. We know that all of that stuff doesn't satisfy. Like if you've tried it for more mm-hmm. than a year, you know that material possessions don't fill that hole in your soul. Um, but there's something beautiful about staring reality in the face and then knowing that your God's conquered it anyway. Totally, even if it's yeah. even if it's pending in the future that we get to celebrate Christmas yeah. um, on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, it's... I don't know. It's it's actually increased my joy, not decreased my joy. So so you can't sing um, a weary world rejoices unless you've experienced the weary world. Yeah, like like you can't get to that point and really have it mean something if you haven't sat in it. And and a lot of the time, the the Christian pattern in the West has been to not sit in it. Yeah, and I feel like this the mentality of of more the liturgical calendar and the lectionary and some of the study around the tradition. Now, these are not, just so you know, this isn't like biblical. It's not, these aren't sacred tools in the sense that the lectionary. Paul did not know of the lectionary. No, and he did not know of the church calendar. Mm -hmm. But um, 
but there's still some beautiful wisdom in them because it forces you to engage the full spectrum of the emotional journey, the full spectrum of the gospel message, mm-hmm. the theological. Mm-hmm. There, uh, there's this idea of like um, tacit theological education. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love that word. They, so tacit just means like uh, taught or understood without saying. Yes. And the lectionary and the liturgical calendar has this capacity to teach without directly saying, Mm -hmm. Hey, by the way, we're going to teach on the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And then, but if you're part of a lectionary driven Mm -hmm. church or a church calendar driven church, you're going to learn about the Trinity tacitly. Yeah. 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 And I, so I, you asked what the strengths were and what the weaknesses were. I'd say that, that you've covered some of the strengths. I covered some of the strengths where there is some weakness or where I've wrestled with it. And this is why we don't like, and I don't mean worship, but this is why we don't like worship the church calendar. Mm. The church calendar is brilliant in making sure that during the course of the year, you celebrate the story of God in this world Mm. and live into it. It doesn't enable you to talk about felt needs in specific moments. Like, so, so that's where we tend to break a little bit. Like, so at the start of this year, we did a series on anxiety um, mm-hmm. because we, it was a felt need. We were hearing lots of conversations around like struggles with anxiety. So we began the, the, the calendar year, not the church calendar year with, uh, with, uh, conversations around anxiety. There's nothing in the church calendar that would say this is the season to do that. Yeah. Um, so we, it, to, to me, this hybrid version actually works great of saying, we're going to create space largely in ordinary time, but also in other key moments of our, of our life calendar or school calendar here, whatever. I always think that even though we have the, 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 like the calendar where it turns the date, yeah. the school calendar still dominates every cycle of everything. Like yeah. It just, it Let's just be honest. Over. Yeah. When the kids are in the house, the uh-huh. environment changes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. September is the beginning of the year or yeah. here, late August. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think that hybrid version tends to hopefully give us the best of both worlds. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we, Isaiah 64 feels like to me still learning Advent, this weird Advent text. Yeah. Um, and yet when you actually get into it, it has a lot of the, the, the messaging of Advent that we actually need. Yeah. The other thing, the other benefit, I think, and maybe for some of you out there, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, Aaron. The other benefit of like understanding some of this tradition, um, is, I think it redeems a lot of the Christmas songs. Mm. So as a worship pastor, I used to hate Christmas carols as a, as a, as worship music because it's just telling stories. It's yes. not like directed to God or yes. We're not saying like, Gl- yeah. adoration songs. Every time I have my arms in the air for we three Kings, I'm like, what am I doing here? Yeah. Like, like we three Kings. <laughs> Just, I'm like, yeah. So I doesn't struggled. Doesn't make any sense. Okay, my my wife's calling me. Oh, this is like a tradition. Like this is a tradition. <laughs> On the podcast, <laughs> should be more. Should I answer? Yes, she'd love that. Welcome to the Red Couch Theology Podcast. <laughs> Hello. No, it's okay. You're live. It's okay. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> It is. I told you. Yeah. Yep. I fixed it yesterday. Yep. His. His remote. His. Yep. All right. I love Love you. Bye. You guys, look at you just operating (laughs) a house over the podcast. (laughs) Well, Um, once he calls twice, I answer. Oh, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. um, Um, I do that assuming I have my phone with me, which actually for me is freakishly often that I've just left it somewhere. I just am uncontactable. But like, I... I struggled for a lot of years, partially because I didn't understand why these songs were celebrating the first coming of Christ. Yeah. Well, that was a misunderstanding on my part of what Advent's function mm-hmm. is. Not a, f- a problem with the songs. And then you start to encounter things like it came upon a midnight clear. It was like, man, that's kind of like one of the vanilla carols that yeah. I'm like, hey, I don't know. I could tell you to leave it as a worship leader. Who's trying to strive to make these or sing uh-huh. these songs that are vertically yes. adoring God. But then you start to read certain lines like this. 
Uh, Peace on the earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all gracious king. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Still through the cloven skies they came with peaceful wings unfurled, and still their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above its sad and lowly plains they bend on hovering wings, and o'er and ever o'er the babbling sounds the blessed angel sings. Mm -hmm. And you're like, if you understand that part of the function of Advent is is to increase our longing for his second coming mm-hmm. and and um, experience the longing that the people were experiencing for his first yeah. coming. If you start so. to enter into that world, these songs start to like leap mm-hmm. off the uh, the musical page and and really yes, grab you, your heart. You might say that by nature, Advent is an act of memory, but then also an act of hope. Yeah. So, so it, 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 uh, Fleming Rutledge, our friend Fleming Rutledge, who so often is quoted. Um, oh, you know, yeah. I, I actually have thought that several times on, on on Advent that she gets quoted enough that were she still with us, uh, I would just say, hey, could you come preach our four Advent weeks yeah. for us? I actually um, listened to two of her sermons yeah. this morning because I'd never actually listened no, to her I'd, preach. No, I've never listened to her. No, and no, so no. I was like, she's got to have a recording somewhere. So I pull I out and listen to two sermons. I love it. It's great. But she, yeah, she, she's so insightful around Advent that that she was one of the people that that said regularly and often, as followers of Jesus, we live in Advent. Or more correctly, we live between two advents. Yeah, we're yeah, uh, we're an advent people. Yeah. So so our memory is focused on the first one. Our hopes are directed towards the second one. Um and yeah. and, and, and engaging memory of the first one actually increases hope of the second yes. one. Yes. Like you were you were promising over and over again that you were gonna come and you did. You showed mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. So that the the banked promise that you saw fulfilled mm-hmm. is the is the sort of the yes down payment for yeah. the future promise yeah and yeah. I, I on Sunday and and we may never get to this so I'll, I'll mention it now <laughs> I, I quoted um, oh man I'm blanking on the author now um, it's a hymn um, uh, lift every voice and sing uh, and uh, at one point in the hymn he says um, it talks about like uh, about something about the the places the places oh Lord where we've met you, the like it it's an act that in itself is an act of memory it's recollecting that God has moved in the past whether it's individually or corporately yeah um, I'm gonna dig it out while you talk or oh, you're doing something else. say so I'm supposed to say really important things now yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Advent's nifty. I recommend it. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, those would be my two personal tips Mm -hmm. beyond what Alex even shared on Sunday was, is just that let yourself enter into and stare the reality of this dark world in the face in this season, because it heightens the goodness and the light and the beauty of incarnation, Mm -hmm. which I think incarnation is, I don't know if you could quite say that it's equal to the cross it theologically, but the fact that, that God became a human being is so categorically mm. different than any other religious framework mm-hmm. um, that he would enter into his creation. So let yourself stare the reality face. And then the other piece of that is think also on second coming. Mm-hmm. If you look at the brokenness of our current world, our cry is the let your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as in heaven. Our, our longing is that he would come in, sweep the tables of all the broken systems of the world and set up shop mm-hmm. with his good and perfect kingdom. So, again. I, and I, so I have this really weird Advent practice that I mentioned, meant to mention and I haven't, and, and it's going to sound really out of left field. Um, Okay. Uh, uh, I'm excited. Yeah, Build the anticipation. Yeah, yeah. Take some time to watch like disaster movies or like alien invasion movies. Really? Yeah. So like Independence Day. Like what do you learn from movies Christmas like that? Movie. Yeah, yeah. Something like breaking the sky and entering into this universe unseen 
seems impossible until it actually happens. Like, that's always the case of those movies. Like, you watch, like, suddenly the spaceships, like, hovering over major cities and stuff like that. And, and, and there's part of you that's like, well, of course that doesn't happen. And then you realize, well, no, the people in the movies thought that it doesn't happen until it does happen. Interesting. And sometimes there's this, like, dissonance between followers of Jesus and, uh, and the promise of Second Advent. What does it mean for God to rend the heavens and come down? Um. Yeah. Like the what does it mean the promise that one day the sky will open and and the Lord will descend himself? Like like what does that mean? Like because it can seem very detached from the everydayness of life. And yeah. yet like the, there's something about those movies that we watch them and we're like, "Huh, yeah. Never thought about that." So um, you actually watch these movies intentionally so? Like it just every time I get a chance to watch one around this time of year it speaks to me about Advent. I don't I don't it's not like I, I mean I'm watching so many Christmas movies it's not like I have time to watch. Yeah. Go through the disaster movie calendar, especially when my kids are the age they are. Um I mean Home Alone 2 could on some levels be considered a disaster movie but not quite in the same way. Yeah. Um, it's a disaster for those robber dudes. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Um one other like maybe uh plumb line or uh what's the term i'm looking for uh evaluative tool i don't think it's uh, maybe it's plumb line yeah i could go with plumb line so it's uh, a diagnostic tool (laughs) one way to sort of evaluate your perspective of god and whether it's accurate is if you think of his second coming and the rending of the heavens and god showing up the scene and that terrifies you and you're like i don't want that that gives that instills tremendous amounts of fear in me um interesting Mm. that should be sort of maybe that should give you pause and make you make you wonder whether the god that you're believing in is the accurate correct god yeah now because yeah i think like he is powerful and all these things Mm. and there is a there is a fear that comes with that but um the delight of anticipation for second coming is when you start to see God is looking like Jesus and Mm -hmm. this healer of the nations, this bringer of wisdom Mm -hmm. and of grace and of Shalom and all these sorts of things. Then it's like so much easier to anticipate and long. I think I agree with that. Now I think at the same time, I think, and and our other good friend, Walter Brueggemann does this brilliantly. He acknowledges like if life is good right now, there are ways that you don't want those worlds to end. Yeah. Like there's a normal tendency towards like, you know, I'm enjoying watching my kids grow up. I'm enjoying like this season of life. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, and, and so there's a normal sense of like, but I don't want that to end. Uh, and that sometimes I think is caused by we, we have this big like separation in our minds between the world to come and this world. Yeah. And in actual fact, th- there's some ways in that they, that they may not be very different at all. Yeah. And some ways in which they may be very different. So there are things that we see, you know, like or today, another mass shooting. And you're kind of like, oh, my goodness, like the counter ticks one more time. And you almost like try to shut it out. Yeah. Um, we all look at those things and say, I want those aspects of this world to end. Mm. But the joy of family, of community, all of those things like you're like, well, I don't want those things to end. Yeah, and, and that's where I think C.S. Lewis does this amazing job in the last battle, this final conclusion to the, the 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 Narnia story, where they enter into what's called Aslan's country, and, and the, the invitation is further up and further in. Like, keep finding your way into this new country, yeah. and then they start to notice things about their world that are there that actually have disappeared in this world where everything ends. Mm. You know, so they see the house that they first experienced Narnia in, Narnia in, and it's been destroyed in their world. Yeah. But there it is. And then the message to them is, well, no, no, in Aslan's country, nothing good is ever destroyed. Um, and that's like the invitation, I think, of, of like, uh, of recognizing, no, in this world to come, there'll be lots of things that are maintained. Yeah. Lots of things that will end. Um, and the, the the joy for us is seeing our king in his rightful place. Yeah, I mean, the scriptures teach us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Mm-hmm. And so those good and perfect gifts are like down payments or 
or preambles mm. to the sweetness and the yeah, goodness totally. of his I'm, ultimate I'm, kingdom. I'm kind of playing with the idea of doing a Revelation series in September. Nice. And I'm kind of like mentally, I'm like, are you nuts? Um, like, do you realize like this is like, you know, um, it's a lot. It is a lot. Because you're like, oh, man, there's so much just to know in terms of like literature, genre that are required, so much historical knowledge, so much like in the moment. Like, yeah. It, like it's, it, it's, it's brilliant because it's both like an apocalyptic story. It's a um, modern day like political angst writing. It's, it's well, a, and for a generation or several generations, it's been... Uh, there's this like obsession with interpretation of times and dates and signs of second coming, all this stuff that you have to weed through to like, see what percentage of those things are accurate. And like, is that really what the text is talking about and all that? So I was, I was a full on left behind addict at one point. Yeah. I was like excitedly waiting for every next book to come out. Yeah. And then. I took a theology class on Revelation. I, was I, like, oh, I realized that's not accurate. That might not happen like that. Yeah. Um, but it's it's one of those ones that I'm, I'm just intrigued by. Cause, that is intriguing. Because language around the second coming has has kind of disappeared. And and another thing like Lip Fleming Rutledge touches on is like, you know, now any idea of the second coming has been replaced by welcoming Jesus into individual hearts. And yeah. That was never supposed to be a either or. Yeah. So briefly, could you give us a, 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 a glance at Isaiah 64? I, I could. So I didn't do a lot of work on the, the overall context of Isaiah. Um, and I think some of it was just like time frame and um, wanting to get to some of the, the textual, sorry, textual detail. Um because Isaiah is a prophet that lives through some trauma. Uh, Isaiah is a prophet. Like some people would read the, the break between chapter 39 and 40 as the first being pre-exile, the second post-exile. Mm -hmm. uh, some people would even claim, like theologically, some people would claim, even claim it's a different author. Huh. Like this, you know, you get terms like Deutero Isaiah and Trito Isaiah and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, um, again, stuff that we certainly don't need to get into right now. Um, but but 64 just appears in that cycle as the nation is on the upswing. There's been a return and there's still stuff to figure out. But there's now like some some questions about like, well, God, would you restore us to what we were? Now, interestingly, the nation will never be what it was. Uh, it, it, geopolitically, it will never have the same same power that it has at the, the, the throughout the, the the David Solomon cycles. Yeah, where at one point, I, uh, Israel is probably the second most powerful nation in the world. Um, other than Egypt, like they are the superpower of the day. Yeah, for a very short period. Yeah, for, well, for relatively this, short. Yeah, relatively period. short period of time. There's like a couple of other cycles. Like actually, as the kingdom splits and as you get Judah and Israel, Israel becomes the more powerful geopolitical nation. Uh, and there's actually evidence from other nations that rather than being called the House of David or the House of Solomon, for a period it was it was known as the House of Omri. Um, who in the biblical cycle is this minor king that appears for a moment that actually was pretty powerful yeah. in, in the in the area. Um, so it will never become that. But but what you what we're jumping into is this moment of longing, the moment of God, would you make us the nation we were before? God, would you come and, and restore us to yourselves? Like do the full restoration thing. Chapter 65 and 66 continue to linger and long for this future restoration that is unseen. But this, yeah. is, this is where we're... So 64 says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when the fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down and make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. It's it's this, this moment there that I, I characterized by the word longing, that any of us might pray similar prayers individually or nationally, like, God, would you act? Um, yeah. Would you do what, what is needed? Um, 
would you make it so that people respect you? Would you make us a Christian nation again? Might be our version of this yeah. today. It's almost like do something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and and, and feel, so yeah. and that language is all over Psalms. Um I quoted Psalm 74, verse 11. Would you take your hand, your right hand from your garments? Like God's got his hand in his pocket and he's just like, Meh. Yeah. Not doing anything. Um, sitting by and watching it all. And then so he moves from this this expression of longing to what I would describe as an act of memory in chapter four, in verse four. Um oh no, verse three. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect. You came down and the mountains trembled before you since ancient times. No one has heard or no ear has perceived. No one has, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right and who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. Like this, there's this transition from longing to memory to reminding himself and perhaps the people of all that God has done before. And then this beautiful moment to, to some kind of like culpability. It's like this movement. To, oh, we're implicit in this as well. Yeah. And now this is really hard because like when we experience tragedy as a nation, there's usually just enough separation for us to be able to put our hands up and say, yeah, I'm, I'm in on this. When it's personal, I even mentioned that as just a, an aside, like that's really that's a really hard movement and perhaps an unhealthy one. Like what happens? Yeah, what do you mean? What, 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 what happens when you lose a child? Like, yeah, I don't think God is saying like I want you to hold your hand up and say I'm responsible for this. Yeah. N- now, on a human level, we are all complicit in this world of sin that results in so much death and destruction and so much of what we see around us. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think it's healthy for a parent or, or right for a parent who loses a child or some kind of tragedy on an individual like that to feel like God is saying you're to blame for this. I don't think that's the point of the thing. I, yeah. I think the point here is that Isaiah, who might be perceived as being outside of the actions of the people, includes himself in it. Like yeah. that's his movement to say, I'm with, I'm with the people. Like if you're gonna, if you're, if you're gonna refuse to help them realize that I'm one of them. Um, yeah. And when I think about our failures and sins, yes, I'm including myself as well. Yeah. Um, Hmm. So, so that third movement is this movement of almost like a confessional truth telling. Yeah, um, that 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 uh, is important. And then there's this final movement of hope, which is actually cast beautifully around relationship, not around actions. It's like, yeah. but you're our father. Remember us. Um, yeah, which I think for us in moments of crisis is the challenging question of like, does God forget? Um, Hmm. and and I think actually what I found is usually it's me that forgets. Yeah. Um, like I forget many things. I forget what God has done in the past and what he's promised. I forget my own humanness, both the call to be a human, a healthy human. And I, I don't show up like that. I act in aggression. I act in bitterness. I act out of fear. And my own limitations, like there's the beautiful part. And so I think Psalm 133, where he says, like, he remembers our our broken estate. He knows that we are but dust. And I'm like, yeah, it's me that doesn't think I'm limited, that can do all things, that can can carry all weights and burdens. Um, So, yeah, that that turning of the corner is yet you are our father. We are the we you are the potter. We are the clay. It's almost it's it's almost got this ring of like you made us, so stick with us. Like take ownership of the thing that you made. Don't cast us. Don't cast us aside. Yeah. Like I, it's not it's not the same language that comes up in Jeremiah, as far as I can tell. That has has more of the language of do with us what you will. Yeah. This language is acknowledge your creation. Um, like stick with us in this. Yeah, similar to like Moses's plea. Yeah. Very and similar. Even to some extent, Paul hints at this sort of feel <clears> a little bit. Um, yeah, where you're just like, yeah, this would go against your nature to mm. blow us up. Yeah, you made us. Yeah. You, you, you're in on this too. Um, Which is a fascinating interaction. Yeah. And so then he ends with, yeah, do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Uh, do not remember our sins forever. And I think there's finally a little bit. Can you slide that down a little oh, bit? Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. 
Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. The look on us part is like, to me, this beautiful, like, like, don't turn your back on us, look in this direction. Like, we're here. It's like a hand-waving thing. It's like a, trying to get his attention. Yeah. Um, and somewhere this is a passage of hope because it, it, it asks God to act out of relationship. It kind of like, and yeah. it, leaves, it leaves it unspoken or uncertain. But for us, it's probably in a week on hope. In Advent, this being the, the candle of hope. Yeah, Which, and the fact that, again, like we said at the beginning of this episode, we have the benefit of mm-hmm. knowing he he showed up. Yeah. Like, he answered yes. this prayer, Absolutely. this cry. Yeah. yeah. Partially he answered it. Yeah. And so as we continue to cry, we get the benefit of his, of Christmas. Mm-hmm. We get the benefit of incarnation to know, to look back and say, oh, he did show yes. up and the world is languishing again. And it feels like it's been far too long, uh-huh. but I'm banking on the fact that he's, he did it once. He'll do it again, yeah, which is and- why we sang the song, do it again, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I never the- thought of that song as an Advent song. And yet it um, fit perfectly. it's such a great Advent song because it's, it's like walking around these walls. I thought by now they'd fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've never failed me yet. It's like such a great Advent song. Mm hmm. Anyway, yeah, I loved it. I, I actually thought there were multiple songs that, ah, that just lands so well in this space. Yeah, um, and you feel like I, I want to sit down with every single person and explain all the ways that it links together. Yeah, yeah, uh, but you, 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 the intuiting is actually. Well, I'm like, well, this is a funny thing. Is like people, people talk to me up sometimes about the intentionality of our song selection, and and I try to be, but. There's so many Sundays where I'm up on stage leading the songs and making mental connections as I go. And then I'll hear you preach and I'm like, that connects. There's no way I came up with (laughs) those connections. Like I might have like a one dimensional connection in my brain. Yes. Like do it again. That kind of was like Uh second coming. Yeah. Do it again. And then I'm like listening to you preach. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no way I could have come up with that. And so, so I, I, to me, the the conclusion point was, um, yes, longing is expressed. Memory, we remind ourselves of what God has done. Um, there is often moments of confession or truth-telling about the way that the world is. And then finally, there's this, this moment of hope that takes place when we realize that, that we, when we remind ourselves of what God has done before and remember we are not forgotten now. Um, yeah that that god is not the one who forgets we are the ones who forget Uh, and that we're remembered i I loved the question that i happened to see come in because i feel like this is one of those things that i feel like i talk about regularly and yet every time that there's this like old testament focus i feel like there must be lots of people that are questioning this and 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 so read the question yeah 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 so here's a question we got that came in this week. So thank you so much for the sermon. It was very encouraging. Something I struggle with is searching for the context behind verses and questions, questioning if they are meant to apply to me. If the, if that makes sense, Isaiah 49 15 is so encouraging to hear. But the question is what, uh, when that verse was written, who was God talking to? And is it fair to relate it to future gentiles non-israelite believers like me thanks so much so like this 15 text so um she's asking uh wait was 59 49 49 15 49 15 so i'll pull it up on the screen here um so this 49 can a mother forget the baby in her breast and have no compassion which you referenced Mm -hmm. um on the child she is born Though she may forget, I will not forget you. So the question is, is this really talking to us or is it talking to the, you know, some, this original audience? And what's Brilliant question. Mean? And so actually I referenced it in terms of God already addressing Isaiah's question, not our question. So like it yeah. is addressed to them. God has already spoken this. Uh, and, and so Isaiah already has his answer. Yeah. I think it's a brilliant question to say, does this apply then to us? Because... You know, how many people do you know that have Jeremiah 29, 11 all over their walls? Like, you yeah. know, I know the plans I have for you, like plans to give you a hope and a future, uh, plans that are very much Israel centric in the text. Yep. And so we've talked about that when we did the Jeremiah. There's even some struggle right now with the whole conflict in Israel 
where the people are wait resurfacing like what's the role of israel mm-hmm. in the world and absolutely how yeah. much should we care and is that still apply in the yeah. new testament con- yeah so there's yeah yeah is, is israel still god's chosen people um is the the broad like conversation yeah um and and so i um in the jeremiah series when we did that we actually referenced that like how many how many passages does anyone in the community know from jeremiah um so so that's a promise in a specific section of jeremiah that's directed to a specific group of people who are in the middle of hopelessness their city has been destroyed um and surprisingly in the midst of that god gives uh, gives them this hope in the midst of isaiah God says, uh, you know, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she is born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Um, Who's so the you? The that's you, the question, the you right? is Israel, right? Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, essentially yeah. the question. Can the you be you? Yes. Um, can, the, can, the you, can the promise extend beyond its original context? So this is a hermeneutics question. Absolutely. Um, like an interpretive question, so yeah. yeah. And so, so then... To me, what I tend to do is is I tend to look at it and say, so does the promise bear resemblance or have similarities to similar promises made through Jesus and the New Testament writers to his community of believers post-resurrection? Like, is it something similar that might be said of the church and of the individuals within the church? Yeah. Um, and so in this case, like, yes, we see Jesus talk in this way to his first followers. Uh, you know, he takes his disciples alongside and he says to them things like, uh, he says to them, do not fear little flock for it is the father's good pleasure to give you uh, the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, he talks to them about like in the language of a shepherd and sheep, he, he, you know, no one will pluck you from my hand. There's all of these different things that you might, extrapolate Mm -hmm. out and say oh there's a similar thing going on here a similar relationship and actually an even richer relationship um because the language then becomes even like even my own life i'll happily lie down lay down for you yes yeah and like even the great commission text and teaching them to obey everything i've commanded you and surely i'm with you always even to the very end of the age Yeah. yeah so like we we tend to believe in this historical grammatical mm-hmm. interpretation of the scripture. So you, it is super important to understand where, what a text is writ, written to and who it's written to and the context and mm-hmm. the scenario that's going on, but it still has weight for us. It yeah. still applies to us in the sense that, well, one, if we're like that original audience mm-hmm. directly, we can apply it directly. If we're unlike that orig- original audience, we can still learn things about the character of God or yes. the the propensities that God has to interact with mm-hmm. his people. Mm-hmm. And we know that similar to Israel, we are God's people yes. as, as uh, Gentile believers. Now, because of the work of Christ, we are invited into that status of his people. And then we know like he consistently operates with his people in this way. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I can sort of bridge to our context yes. and so say no, this text applies to me, not that, that it's directly written to me, but that this is the kind of God that I worship. He's the non-forgetting yes. God. Now, where, where where the conversation gets really difficult is if you believe that Israel is no longer God's people, does that mean there can come a day where the church is no longer his people too? Like, like what? where's the, like, if there's no continuation can there be no continuation for us at some point? Yeah. Um, like that's where some of the argument comes from people that are very it's a great much question. You should answer it. Yeah. And, and, it's, <laughs> and, and it's complicated because then you put that alongside, well, what does it mean when Paul says, well, he's made one of the two groups of people? Like, like what does it mean when he says not everyone who seems to be Israel or claims to be Israel is really Israel? Um, the, there's like, there's so much that's complex to it. Who are the people that God committed to? Is it a is it a uh, geographical group? Is it an ethnic group, or is it a group of people that believed? Um, and and that's where it gets way too complicated for us to get into the whole thing today. We could do our, like a standalone. On that's that a subject, sermon series so, yeah. to the Book of Romans, yeah. essentially. Yeah, 
Um, predominantly yeah. but but that that's that is a challenging question like if 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 god is now saying of israel you're no longer my people could he say of us um we're no longer his people and what do the promises really mean yeah um and again like, yeah way way too complicated to extrapolate on there. yeah but, but maybe but I, someday we'll do a book yeah, of romans yeah maybe, maybe i heard a preacher maybe, say that like preaching through the book of romans is like is like saying, "All right, I've been climbing mountains my whole life. I'm finally ready to take on Everest." I love it. You know, it's yeah, like, I, and yeah. I'm intrigued by that. Like, I, I think it was N.T. Wright that said maybe, maybe 15 years ago, he was intrigued. He said, "I'd be intrigued to see how the church would have turned out if Ephesians had been our like magnus opus instead of Romans." Yep. Um, like the the language is different enough. Um, the, the Romans, Romans has these beautiful moments in it, but, but, uh, there's an intensity to Romans that is different. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> and a focus on grace in Ephesians that is slightly different as well. Yeah. I, um, oh, did you turn us off again? Did you end the podcast? Did our camera just shut off? You, did we go well, out? we're still talking, but we don't have any camera. <laughs> Which is fascinating. If you listen on, uh, if you watch on video, you're now experiencing what everyone who downloads the podcast yeah. experiences. Weird. It all means nothing. Huh. What a story. Well, is that flashing light over there? Does that mean anything? Ah. Ah, we're back. We're back. Look at that. I spotted a flashing light. I did a tech thing. I don't even know. I didn't. So I dropped my little handy dandy mabobber thing. That wasn't working. And it pushed a button that I didn't even know existed. Hmm. I forgot that you existed. (laughs) All right. On that glorious note, I don't know where we go now. Uh, You were saying something pretty important. We we really need to see our faces. We were were talking about Romans and uh, versus Ephesians and and, the... the slightly different emphasis that comes across, like Romans ha- has these passages where it talks about uh, what what God has done for us in Jesus. Um, Ephesians has these focal points like you, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It has this focal point of like, uh, I pray that God may give you the power of revelation to know how high, how wide, how deep, how vast his love really is. Like there's this, yeah. there's this emotional language around Ephesians that just rings a little bit different. Romans has the, the intense focus on the church and Israel and the connection between the two that Ephesians doesn't have. It, it has that focus now on just the one community. Yeah. Um, yeah and and so, actually, I, I think that, to pull the question that we just hopefully partially dealt with at least into the subject of like this new Testament and Paul's letters. Um, here's a warning to you. If you spend the majority of your time in the epistles, I think we, we very maybe too quickly assume this is new Testament. Everything applies to Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's also not true. No, like, the intuition you had to ask this question about the book of Isaiah, great intuition. Mm-hmm. That intuition should carry it over to the epistles because the epistles are written to specific mm-hmm. churches with specific things. And yes, there's some theological uh, weight to it. Um, New Testament, co- new covenant weight to mm-hmm. some of those things, but a lot of those things are not intended to apply directly. And we could give a dozen examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't enforce head coverings at the mm-hmm. church. We don't enforce a whole slew of things in our modern churches because the New Testament epistles are very occasional. Absolutely, yeah. They and, have... And leave yeah. us wrestling with some very specific questions when Paul says... Um, uh, something about doesn't nature tell you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? Well, is my hair long? It is long. By a 21st century standard, it's long. By a 1st century standard? Man, not particularly long. Not by a Nazarite standard. Like, yeah. like what, what, what is the, what is the length that's determined? And as my long? beard is pretty short for, a, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. 
so so there's 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 all these fascinating questions around like well when paul says things like that your, your example of head coverings is 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 in the same context like there are churches that have done that over the years they've insist, insisted women wear hats yeah. um but that that doesn't tap into the actual purpose that paul uh, is speaking into yeah and so it, what, what it does is it takes paul addressing a specific situation and then it says well let's let's not worry about the specific situation because that no longer applies but let's make sure that women still wear a hat um yeah and so i guess my point of connecting your the question that we just dealt with and this, and our conversation about the book of romans or ephesians is to say um that same concern that i misapply a text needs to carry to the new yes. testament and which is why your point to nt Wright was saying like i wonder if if ephesians had become our, our magnum opus rather than romans romans is so occasional like mm -hmm. he is dealing with very specific animosity mm -hmm. between jews and gentiles mm -hmm. and that's one of the reason we love it is because because of that animosity he articulates in a very in maybe the most western way mm-hmm the gospel message in the center section of the book of Romans, he has to like articulate the gospel in a very linear mechanical, yeah. this happens, then this happens and this. And so we love it as Westerners mm -hmm. because we're like, Oh, it makes sense. It has like mm -hmm. this didactic argumentative, yeah. this step, this step, this happens, this happens, this happens way. And then it ends with this majestic thing which is great for us Westerners, but actually some of the subtlety and the nuance might have come out more beautifully and more art artistically yeah. in Ephesians. And, and, and if you watch, if, if you're not sure that churches can be shaped differently based on focal points within scripture, uh, and if you'd even claim that, that you don't have a focal point, well, actually everyone does. Like you only have to look at your Bible and see which, which things you've underlined, which books you've underlined the most mm -hmm. um, or, or read the most, like keep a track of that. Cause, cause almost everyone does it, whether they realize it or not. Yeah. Um, if you go and look at the early Anabaptist communities, they were the ones that really embraced the words in red, even though the words weren't in red then. Yeah. Uh, they went and said that we're going to look at the words of Jesus and those are going to be the things that we take above everybody else. Yep. And so the question has been like, can you do that with scripture? Like, like, so for me, is there a distinction about the words of Jesus? I tend to come back to, yes, my feeling is like to, to not single out what Jesus said as, as distinct, even among scripture is not a high view of scripture. It's a low view of Jesus. Yeah. So to believe that God didn't in flesh come to not just die for us and, and, and be resurrected for us, but that he came to teach for three years. Like so, God showed up uh -huh. to say something, yes. but we should put his words on the same level yeah. as every. Yeah, there is a <laughs> distinction around the words of Jesus that are, yeah, because, he, because of who he is. Yeah, there's moments when, for example, the president of the United States actually gets on an airplane and goes to have a physical in-face yeah. meeting. Usually that's a good sign that that meeting has some significance some yeah, different yeah, than like, yeah. you know, hey, by the way, so-and-so sub-officer, could you call the governor uh -huh. of this state and tell him this? Yes. That's like, that's more like a lot of these other texts, which, no, I mean, they have more weight than that, but you you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Totally and agree, and so, yeah. so they're like, but even within like, a, so pick a gospel, like when you read the Sermon on the Mount um, and you, you hear Jesus' largest body of teaching that we've been sitting in for a while now as a community, mm -hmm. does that have a different weight as a teaching point than Matthew 21, 17? which says, and he went out of the city into Bethany and he lodged there for the night. Like, like well, almost all of us would say yes. Um, so, so like a, a piece of language that says all scripture is the same level. All scripture is scripture. All scripture is God breathed. Absolutely, um, yeah. but, but does it mean that each of it has an equal weight for a teaching point? No, Matthew 21, 17 does not have the same weight as love your neighbor. Um, or, or love your enemy as Jesus expands it to. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that's like, a, that that's reducing it down to, to a point that, that I, I just don't think is, is the purpose of scripture. Yeah. So to get back to the question and we're right at an hour, um, 
yeah, that text can absolutely breathe life because I, uh, for you, that um, Isaiah passage that is dear to you because it, it shouts of the kind of God that you serve mm. and the kind of heart that he has for you is he's the not forgetting kind of God. Yes. He was the not forgetting kind of God for Israel mm-hmm. and he is the not forgetting you kind of God mm-hmm. and he, sh- and Christmas and the incarnation and all of the epistles and all the texts that Alex just quoted about that same principle are shouting to humanity that I am the not forgetting my people kind I of God. I love it. So, so enjoy Advent. Yeah, awesome. See you guys soon. Love y'all. Bye-bye. And I've got to find the button. As always, you'd think I'd be prepared one of these weeks to just hit the button, but I'm never. Never off. Bye. Bye.